our communion meditation is from Ruth. The message is from Ruth chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, but I'll read the entire chapter. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight in the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you, as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that is such a beautiful picture of love. And we pray, Lord, please uh, open our minds to understand it and uh, guide us that by your spirit we would live by your word, not just by what we choose to like or to live by, but by all of it. We give you thanks for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. I chose to read all of this because it's been quite a while since the last message on Ruth. And uh, I'll just give you a very brief summary, and it's not of the whole book, but it's just of this last chapter that we're in, chapter 3. The three messages that I gave from 
all that preceded verse 14 can be summarized as this. Security sought, security promised, and security explained. The security explained was from Deuteronomy, but it explained the origins of the kinsman redeemer, what exactly it meant, what Boaz was being asked to do by Ruth and Naomi. So everything until now, what we've talked about in conjunction with this, had the word security in it. And this is a beautiful illustration of the concept of security. It was securing the family line. It was honoring the dead man who had lost his wife without having children come about yet. It's bringing in a kinsman redeemer, a close relative of his that's unmarried, that can marry this woman, have the first uh, uh, son carry on his name, and it protects the widow from a life of destitution, potentially. So it is a beautiful picture of how God has provided for his people. Yet, I believe there is something that you can lose by focusing only on the security aspect of it. And I believe we see that perfectly illustrated here. But we've seen it throughout the book, so I'll try to draw the whole thing out. I want to remind you, most of you probably know this, but I want to remind you what are the languages of love. We hear this in our culture. There are these very common beliefs that there are five languages of love that are illustrated amongst us. And so they are, first, there is the language of words. We can love one another with our words. We can speak kindly, affirming to one another. There is the language of time, and so time is spending quality time with one another. It's not really necessarily just being together, but it's interacting. We now spend lots of time potentially together, uh, but we're not interacting. So time, touch. We all know people that are touchy-feely, and those of us that are not touchy-feely are probably uncomfortable at times with those people that are. I'm somewhat touchy-feely, and Tabitha has rebuked me at times for being touchy-feely with the wrong people. And I accept that rebuke, and I've tried to change my conduct. And yet, touch is a way that we connect with people. And yet, we have to do so respecting modesty, respecting privacy. Then the third, or the fourth, is service, acts of service. And so, doing things for others. These are ways that we can express our love for one another. And then there are gifts. Now, think of all of these in terms of uh, this. First, there are the words that are coming out of my mouth. Then there is time. It's how we choose to spend time when we're typically talking with people or we're doing things with people. So we transition from the head to the hands. And so you can remember those two like that. The words and then also the words and the hands. You're doing stuff together. You're spending quality time with one another. Then there is touch, so touch. And then there is service, you're helping them. And then there's gift giving, giving. So there's a way you can kind of remember those five. I need those clues. I'm forgetful. So now, I want to walk you through up until now what's occurred in Ruth. Not, I can't do it comprehensively, but still, I want to emphasize where you can see the languages of love being employed in the book of Ruth. The first one, and the reason I chose to uh, do one message at least from Ruth, is in chapter 1, 
verses 16 through 17, and it's where Naomi has been attempting to get Orpah and Ruth to go away, go back home, stay in Moab. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And so we can see how strong those words are, the love that's coming through from Ruth to Naomi. And so then another example is of time. She says in that text I read, I will go with you. She's speaking about the rest of her life. She's going to spend some quality time with Naomi, whether Naomi wants it or not. And as a matter of fact, what Naomi went on, the next verse says that Naomi went on, she stopped speaking to her. I think Naomi was a little mad at Ruth at this point, but she's tolerating her coming with her. She clung to her in the verse before this, in verse 14. Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and left. But Ruth clung to her, touches involved. And Naomi then attempts to talk her out of it again, but Ruth then gives that speech. Service. As soon as they arrived back home in Israel, what did Ruth do? Let me go to the field. She speaks to her mother-in-law out of respect, but let me go to the field. Let me do something. Let me help the situation. And then when she goes there, I believe it's that first day, she holds some of what she has been given back, not just the raw grain, but the food she had been given to give, to share with Naomi that evening. That's a gift. So I see all the languages of love Ruth has for Naomi. Then you see Naomi seeking security. Now, Naomi is overwhelmed with grief, and so I think you can forgive her for not being as aware of what's going on. Ruth is as well, but Naomi more so. But she seeks security for Ruth. And so that's the service, the acts of service. She's attempting to help Ruth. With Boaz, you see it also. You see his words uh, conveying love and respect. In verse 11, he speaks of, it has been faithfully reported to me. He's heard about Ruth, and he's sharing that good report with Ruth. I've heard of you. And he's commending her. He spends time with her. Even while he's there in the field, he's coming to check. He's a busy man. He's got these businesses, these crops to bring in. And yet he visits with her. He wants to know more about her. Service. He instructs his men. Let her glean. So he's gift-giving as well as uh, giving a service of security to her. And then that at the end of that day, again, here, what I just read... Do not return to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Here are six ephahs of grain. He is a gift giver. So you see these. Now I could also go on and show how Ruth does this with Boaz, but I'm going to end right there. But I'm going to say that Ruth did the same thing. She demonstrated love repeatedly towards Boaz. And so we can see then that these languages of love are not just embedded within the romantic sphere. We all can love one another using the languages of love, and we ought to. It's what the one another verses are all about. But I also believe that we as a church, because our culture is obsessed with romantic love, and it's not necessarily romantic love that it's obsessed with. I would say that it's often lust instead of love. But that aside, there is this infatuation with romantic love. 
and we in the church have often reacted against that. We are restoring courtship, marriage, having parents involved in these things, yet it doesn't remove the component of romantic love. And you see that coming through in the story thus far, and we'll see it through to the end. Romantic love is not absent from our story. Actually, I believe it's central to our story. There is a love story developing here, a very beautiful one. But there's also love that is, it's harder to see here when we're wanting to focus on just the human relationships. But the book of Ruth is a love story about Boaz and Ruth, It is a love story about Ruth for Naomi. It's a love story about God for his people through Boaz's obedience in carrying out the word. Romans 5.8 obviously comes to mind here because we have those words, demonstration of love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The people that we are talking about in Ruth are very honorable Ruth is very honorable. Boaz is very honorable. And yet, Christ died for us when we were not honorable, when we were very dishonorable. Dishonorable towards him, dishonorable towards one another. So you could see the greater love that's being poured out by God. It's easy to love those when they love you back. It's easy to love people when they're treating you well. But God loved us when we were not treating him well. I was listening to 1 Kings a couple days ago, and as often as I've read this and heard it, it really struck me this time. And I want to read a portion from 1 Kings 8 at verse 41. He's in the middle of his prayer. The temple is about to be filled with the Holy Spirit and drive all the priests out. And he says this, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you, calls to you. So Solomon is specifically asking God to honor the prayers of foreigners that aren't a part of the covenant when they come here and they pray towards the temple in the court of the Gentiles. Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. There are so many beautiful illustrations of God pointing to the inclusion of the Gentiles in the Old Testament. And uh, it is just a beautiful thing for us to be here 2,000 years after Christ has come and continue to mine the Old Testament for these beautiful gems that point ahead to just how much God loves us and how much he is working to save people that are in destitute situations like Ruth and Naomi were. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the sacrifice of yourself, for drawing uh, our attention every week to the gift of your son, to just how much you loved us, how much you provided for us, 
and how thoughtful you have been at loving us with the languages of love. We thank you, Lord, for this precious gift, and we pray now that you would be honored as we partake. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.